Hello, this is Helga Edwards, and I'm here with my husband Bob. Today we will be reading from the Good News Translation of the Bible, today's English version. In Genesis 37, we read about how Joseph was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. The story continues in chapter 39, beginning at verse 1. Now the Ishmaelites had taken Joseph to Egypt and sold him to Potiphar, one of the king's officers, who was the captain of the palace guard. The Lord was with Joseph and made him successful. He lived in the house of his Egyptian master, who saw that the Lord was with Joseph and had made him successful in everything he did. Potiphar was pleased with him and made him his personal servant. So he put him in charge of his house and everything he owned. From then on, because of Joseph, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian and everything that he had in his house and in his fields. Potiphar turned everything he had to the care of Joseph and did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Joseph was well-built and good-looking, and after a while his master's wife began to desire Joseph and asked him to go to bed with her. He refused and said to her, Look, my master does not have to concern himself with anything in the house because I am here. He has put me in charge of everything he has. I have as much authority in this house as he has, and he has not kept back anything from me except you. How then could I do such an immoral thing and sin against God? Although she asked Joseph day after day, he would not go to bed with her. But one day, when Joseph went into the house to do his work, none of the house servants was there. She caught him by his robe and said, Come to bed with me. But he escaped and ran outside, leaving his robe in her hand. When she saw that he had left his robe and had run out of the house, she called to her house servants and said, Look at this! This Hebrew that my husband brought to the house is insulting us. He came into my room and tried to rape me, but I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me scream, he ran outside, leaving his robe beside me. She kept his robe with her until Joseph's master came home. Then she told him the same story. That Hebrew slave that you brought here came into my room and insulted me, but when I screamed he ran outside, leaving his robe beside me. Joseph's master was furious and had Joseph arrested and put in the prison where the king's prisoners were kept, and there he stayed. But the Lord was with Joseph and blessed him, so that the jailer was pleased with him. He put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and made him responsible for everything that was done in the prison. The jailer did not have to look after anything for which Joseph was responsible, because the Lord was with Joseph and made him succeed in everything he did. Here ends our reading of Genesis chapter 39. In the majority of English translations of this passage, Joseph is depicted as well-built and good-looking. The Greek Septuagint tells us that Joseph was in the prime of his life and beautiful to look upon. Ancient Hebrew scripture tells us he was beautiful and handsome in appearance. Our oldest Aramaic text tells us that he had a beautiful countenance and that he was beautiful to look upon. Two English translations of the Bible omit this information. They are the Geneva Bible and the King James Version popular in 16th and 17th century England. The King James says that Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. 
Similarly, the Geneva Bible says he was a fair person and well-favored. Strangely enough, John Wycliffe's earlier English translation of the Bible in the 14th century does not omit information about Joseph's appearance. Wycliffe described Joseph as fair in face and shapely in sight. The Geneva Bible and the King James Version stand out as making a change to the text of Genesis chapter 39, verse 6. Why do they do this? It is important to note that this change took place during the rise of Puritanism in England. According to an influential Puritan theologian of that period, William Perkins, it was sinful to draw attention to a person's appearance. Women especially were not to draw attention to their outward beauty. This emphasis was reflected in Puritan laws in early English colonies in North America. Sarah Laskow, senior editor for The Atlantic, wrote about one such law that made it illegal for any woman to, quote, betray into matrimony any of His Majesty's male subjects by scents, paints, cosmetics, washes, artificial teeth, false hair, Spanish wool, iron stays, hoops, high-heeled shoes, or bolstered hips, end of quote. If a woman accentuated her appearance in any of these ways, the marriage could be nullified and she could be found guilty of witchcraft. Drawing attention to appearance was viewed as a form of exercising control over another person's behavior through sorcery. Some women found guilty of such crimes were actually burnt to death at the stake during this extremely dark period of church history. And so, the two most prominent English translations of the Bible during this period omit any information about Joseph's appearance. Though this way of thinking was certainly prevalent in the 16th and 17th centuries, both in England and North America, it certainly did not have its origins at that time. It is also important to point out that this manner of thinking did not have its origins in the Church or the Bible. It was brought into church theology from a human philosophy called Neoplatonism. Neoplatonism took a dim view of the body, the emotions, and women. One influential theologian who admitted using Neoplatonism as an interpretive guide to the Bible was renowned 4th century Roman bishop St. Augustine. Augustine admitted in his books called Confessions that he struggled with controlling his sexual behavior. Unfortunately, St. Augustine made no distinction between having sexual feelings and acting on them. Such was his struggle that he viewed any form of sexual desire or attraction, even within marriage, as sinful. In keeping with this belief, he advised all women to conceal their appearance with a veil. Rather than accepting sexual feelings as God-given, St. Augustine viewed them as evil and blamed them on women. Controlling women's behavior became his chosen solution. St. Augustine's work was embraced by notable Protestant reformer John Calvin, and according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, it was under Calvin's supervision in Geneva that the Geneva Bible was written. Like Augustine, Calvin also taught that women must submit themselves to the authority of, quote, the more distinguished sex, end of quote. As it was with Augustine, so too did the Puritans associate male purity with covering and controlling women. 
Puritan William Perkins pointed out that style of dress was not only important for modesty, but it was also a clear indication of social order, one in which all women must submit themselves to the alleged authority of men. Just as these controlling and fearful views of women and emotion did not begin in 16th and 17th century England, it is also sadly the case that they did not end there. The Puritan movement of that era remains very much alive in what is often referred to as today's evangelical purity movement. Many Christians in this movement continue to confuse ancient ascetic philosophy with Christian theology. Rather than teaching men to manage their God-given sexual feelings with the help of the Holy Spirit, they continue to make women feel responsible for male sexual behavior. Women are told to hide their femininity or they will quote-unquote cause men to stumble. The Bible does not teach this, not even in its so-called modesty passages. Take 1 Timothy 2 verse 9 for example. This verse states, quote, I also want the women to be modest and sensible about their clothes and to dress properly, not with fancy hairstyles or gold ornaments or pearls or expensive dresses." Unquote. Time and again I've heard this verse quoted by preachers who then tell women to cover up so that they will not cause men to fall into sexual sin. The verse itself says nothing about this. Rather, it is a warning against flaunting one's wealth and social standing. To be modest in this context was to avoid displays of extravagance, specifically extravagant wealth. In an insightful article entitled A Brief History of Modesty, Abigail Williams of Oxford University points out that the word modesty underwent an important shift in meaning during the Puritan era. Originally, the word was commonly used in the English language to refer to an avoidance of extremes. Modest was derived from moderate. It was the golden mean. A modest person was one not given to extremes, or as in the case of 1 Timothy 2.9, to extravagance. Eventually, however, the term became focused on clothing, and the alleged importance of women covering up so that men would not sin. It is this meaning that has been carried forward by today's evangelical purity movement, and it distorts their understanding of the Bible. The Bible, however, does not teach that a woman's physical appearance will cause men to sin. When addressing men who struggled with giving in to adulterous intentions, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30, Jesus did not tell them to exercise more control over women. He used a dramatic metaphor to encourage them to do whatever was necessary to exercise control over themselves. Paul tells us, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Paul encourages followers of Christ to surrender themselves to God and trust the Holy Spirit to teach and enable them to live lives characterized by love, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Religious legalism is a poor substitute for the work of God's Holy Spirit in a person's life. The Apostle Paul explained this in his New Testament letter to the Colossians. He said, 
See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belonged to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. That's in Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 23. Fear of emotion and the legalistic control of women. This is not the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It is a human tradition based on a fallen philosophy that the church must no longer confuse with the will of God. The author of Genesis chapter 39 did not sin by mentioning Joseph's appearance, nor did he cause readers to have sinful thoughts. Joseph's appearance did not cause Potiphar's wife to make her sinful choices. Neither is a woman's appearance ever responsible for the sexual behavior of men.